Allison. This is my wife, Allison. <laughs> Brett and Allison, yeah. So we're honored to be with you guys. I mean, uh, this church has such a legacy, and uh, Clark, and uh, the more, we've been going back through the archives off and on, going through messages from years gone by on Vimeo and the other, other platforms, and just listening, and just been, we just can't believe this has been here so close to us for so many years, and we didn't, you know what I mean? Like, we're just, just now discovering it, but God's timing's always perfect, so... Anyways, we're glad to be here with you guys. Um, let's just pray real quick. Heavenly Father, we're just honored to be in your presence and honored to have you in our hearts. And we just welcome you. I ask you to just guide this session together, draw us closer to yourself, feed our spirits with your own goodness. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen. So question for you guys. Um, you ever invite someone over to your house? Somebody maybe want to make a good impression on? Like somebody, you know, that you don't see them that often, you don't hang out that often, but you're like, you know, we want to have these people over and, you know, you get busy, they accept, you know, you get busy cleaning up and going around the house, finding all your junk and, you know. Closet, that's one location. What are the other locations you throw the junk, right? Like garage, under the bed, right? Right? Close the door, there you go, yeah. Totally, right? And then they get there, and it's all, like, pristine. They're like, wow, I love your house. Oh, thanks, you know. It's like this all the time, you know. And um, that's, that's when you have time to prepare for it, right? That's when you have time for, you know they're coming. You've invited them. You've made an arrangement. They're on their way. But what, what happens when there's a knock at the door, and, and you're, you didn't know somebody was coming, and you suddenly realize who this person is that's knocked at the door, and like, oh, I didn't, ah, the mess, and oh, no, and... Do you let them in? Do you open the door? Do you, do you, I'll, I'll be out in a few minutes, just hang out out there. You know, what do you, what do you do? You know, what do you, what goes through your head? You know, what, what if you're still in your pajamas? You haven't even brushed your teeth yet, you know, and they're at the door and it's somebody kind of important, but you don't want to be rude. Like, what do you, you know, how do you process that, right? Well, there's, my, my guess is that, you know, whether or not you let them in depends a lot on how well you know them, how much you trust them, how much you know about each other. Hey, if they've already seen your worst, you know, you're opening the door. Yeah, I've sold my jammies, whatever, you know. But if it's somebody you don't know that well, you don't know what they're going to think of you, you know, it, it makes a difference, right? Well, uh, how many of you remember that verse uh, in Revelation chapter 3 where uh, John is um, he's explaining uh, his experience with Jesus uh, that he had while on the island of Patmos? And he, 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 Jesus is telling, uh, he says in these words, he's like, hey, behold, take a look. I'm standing at the door and I'm knocking, you know, and if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come in and I'll eat with him and he'll eat with me, you know, and it it doesn't say anything about like he made an arrangement ahead of time. It's just like kind of like he's there and all of a sudden you hear the knocking and you hear his voice and there's kind of this decision. What am I going to do, you know? And a lot of times we equate that story, or you might have equated that story perhaps with sort of that initial experience uh, that we think of when we think of the word salvation, right? You might think of that as kind of that one-time thing. But I often wonder if he isn't knocking a lot of times at, you know, because we've unknowingly kind of like gone about trusting ourselves again or doing something on our own again or kind of ignoring him or setting him aside, not knowingly, not intentionally oftentimes, but just kind of happens, right? And, and he's like, hey, you know, and uh, he's always so, it, it's so amazing because he's like the God of the universe, right? And he describes himself as humbly standing at the door knocking, 
right? He, it, there's not like a, a, a column of trumpeters and, you know, he didn't send the, you know, the chief of staff ahead of time to say, okay, at this hour, this day, you know, like when the president comes, you know, oh, that's no surprise, you know, that's, you, you're coached in advance, right? No, he's just humbly, you know, hey, and, and that says a lot about who we are to him as well as a lot about who he is, I think. But there's this interesting thing in that story that we don't really talk about that much, and that is that he's saying he wants to come in and share a meal with us. He, wants to, he says, if, if you let me in, we'll sit down and talk, but we'll, I'll eat and you'll eat and we'll eat together, you know? And it's like, what is that about? What's he talking about there? And I've noticed this theme comes up all the time in Scripture, but especially in the teachings of Jesus. But you can see it in the Old Testament as well. Like, for example, in the book of Psalms, chapter 103, some of you can probably quote this, you know, bless the Lord, O my soul. All right, I hear it already. You guys are quoting it already. Rather than read the whole thing, though, I'm just going to just, because there's a whole bunch of benefits in there, right? He's, he's like, here's, what, here's, here's who God is for you, right? He forgives you. He heals you. He redeems you. He crowns you. He satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagle. He satisfies you with, some translations say he satisfies, satisfies you with good things. But the, if you look in those verses, the translations that show you which words are added for clarity and which ones are part of the original, the word things is not there. It's just he satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed. His goodness satisfies us, satiates our hearts, right? Our need to know that there's good, real good, that he's good, satisfies our soul, our innermost being, and causes such hope that we come alive like we're young again. Isn't that good? (laughs) Psalms chapter 63 is David again talking, and this one's, I'll read a little bit more of this one, starting in verse 1. Now, by the way, he wrote this when he's out in the wilderness, it says. Um, in verse 1, it says, O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you, as in a dry and weary land where there's no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and your glory, because your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you, so I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. And down in verse 8, it says, My soul clings to you. My, your right hand upholds me. He's in the wilderness. And he's looking out and he's thinking to himself. And he says to God, you know, I'm in a really harsh place. This is a really harsh place. You know what this is like? You know what else is really harsh like this? All the people that I know that have a really harsh view of you, God. There's no moisture. There's no water. There's nothing to satisfy. There's a longing for anyone who longs for you, who wants to know that you're good, what you're really like. There's a lack of that in people's hearts. They don't know. <clears throat> that there, so it creates this like landscape of, of, of harshness. There's no knowledge of your love, God, your love, which is so steadfast. Yeah. 
Did you, you hear him talking about the steadfast love of the Lord? There's no knowledge of you as powerful to save, but actually you're the one who upholds me. Yeah. See, he's like, I went and I, I took a look. I looked into this because I, I didn't see this out there. It's lacking, right? This knowledge was lacking. There's no belief about how wonderful you are. He said, your power and your glory, right? You're glorious. I've looked into it. I don't find it anywhere. But when I looked into it, my heart was full and satisfied like I had eaten rich food, right? The goodness of the Lord satisfies. Now, if, if that can be prophesied in the old covenant, right? If, the, if David can prophesy that, can see, right? Not knowing who the Messiah would be, not knowing who the hope of the world would be, but could see that in the nature of God and in the writings of scripture, how much more can we in the new covenant know and see that through Christ, right? I'm going to spend a few minutes in John chapter 6. I could read the whole thing, but it would take us way too long, so for the sake of time. John chapter 6 covers, there's like a two-day period in there. And you know the stories, if you've ever sat in church for any length of time. You know the feeding of the 5,000. You know the crossing of the lake. Jesus walking on the water. And you've probably heard the story that followed after that on the next day, where... Everybody got offended because now he's talking about eating of his flesh and drinking of his blood, right? A lot of people walked away that day, right? Two-day period. The first day, all the people who had been listening to him preach all day are all hungry and famished. And instead of sending them away, he takes the time to personally ensure that they eat and are satisfied. He says, have the people sit down. There was much grass in the place, verse 10. So the men sat down at about 5,000 in number. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. Now, you know the story. There was the loaves and the fishes that the boy had for his lunch, right? And Jesus multiplied it out to feed thousands and thousands of people. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill... right? Like the Lord of the universe has just been preaching awesome, mind-blowing stuff all day long. And now he's like personally attending to their hunger. And he's like, did you get enough? No? Let me make, let me multiply some more fish for you. For thousands of people, this must have taken, I don't know how much time, but he took the time to personally keep, (laughs) right? That's amazing. God is good. And Jesus demonstrates that through the little things and the big things. So then, right, after all this is done, they're hungry, finally sends them away, they're full and satisfied. He goes out on the water. What happens? You know the story, right? They're paddling away, whatever, the sailboat's going, the storm comes. Jesus walks out to them on the water, right? They're freaking out. It says uh, they were frightened as he came near the boat. But he said to them, it is I. Do not be afraid. The reason you don't need to be afraid is because it's me. (laughs) How many times have we heard messages or been taught to be, you know, they they don't say be afraid of God. They sure make you afraid. They sure make you worried about whether, oh, can I trust him? Is he good? What's he really like? You know, 
But he's literally saying, hey, it's me. You don't need to be afraid. You ever gotten surprised by somebody in the dark? You know, somebody approaching. <laughs> and they're like, no, 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 it's, it's just me. Oh, thank God. Right? He's like, hey, it's, it's me. So the next day, right? They're on the shore. They go to bed. The next day, all these people that were on the other side of the lake that got fed, they're like, oh, where'd Jesus go? We, we, he didn't leave with the disciples, so we thought he was still here. They wake up. He's not there. They spend hours looking for him. They find him on the other side, right? He challenges them. He's like, hey, you guys didn't come after me because, you know, you saw the miracles and decided to believe. You came after me because of the free food, right? He's like, I, I know your hearts. Like, you don't, you, don't, you don't need to pretend around here, you know? <laughs> he says, do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life. Which the son, eternal life, which the son of man will give to you. For on him, God the father has set his seal. One of the translations I was studying says, has set his seal of approval. There's a lot right there. The Son of Man will give you eternal life. Yeah, but he said you got to work for it. But it says, for on him, he will give you eternal life for, the, for on him, that is the Son of Man, God the Father has set his seal of approval. Did you catch that? You, get a, you receive eternal life because God approved of Jesus. Not you. You didn't measure up. He measured up. A lot of people say, you know, Paul preached grace, but Jesus didn't, right? When, when, you, when you talk to, you know, read a lot of theologians, people who, a lot of people say, ah, there's con contradiction. Yeah, he's preaching. He's explaining it right here. He's literally saying to the people, in the same way that I multiplied food for you in the wilderness to satisfy your fleshly desires, I also multiply food for your soul, for your innermost being, and that will sustain, will make you come alive and sustain you for all eternity. Eternal life, right? Eternal life, you come alive and what you've eaten sustains you for all eternity. He will sustain us for all, his goodness, his love, his power, his amazing favor towards us will sustain us for all eternity because and we're, we're recipients of that, benefactors of that, because Jesus is approved, right? Then they said to him, well, what was it? Remember he said works? He said you got to work for the food that produces eternal life? He said, well, well what must we do to, to be doing these works of God? Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. <laughs> Wow, wow, right? Yeah. Jesus is preaching some grace. You're working. Oh, yeah, yeah, faith without works is dead. Yep, true. What works are we supposed to be busy doing? Believing in him. You know, he just called the people out because they didn't truly believe, but they were chasing after him. They were pursuing him. They spent hours looking for him. That sounds devoted to me. It looks devoted. You know, coming to church all the time, all, all these kinds of things, right? Looks devoted, but are we being fed? Are we 
being satisfied in our own souls by his goodness. You know, even, even in this amazing place where we hear about the grace teaching all the time, are we just satisfied that we're, satis- that we're lo- no longer like, ah, thank God, all that stupid teaching, I don't have to worry about that? Or are we, are we being satisfied by how much he loves us? Because that's what makes us come alive, you know? I've heard some people say that grace teaching leads to passivity. Uh, I, I think it depends on what you believe. Yeah, you can become passive if you, just, if, you, if you just feel like, okay, I'm no longer under law. But when you start to realize how much he loves you, when you start to look into like David did, right? And now we have so much more to look into because we have the example of the Lord himself, the body of the Lord himself. And actually Jesus is like, hey, let me, let me explain that to you. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, verse 32 in John 6, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Jesus is saying, I am the real bread. You know, we talk about, in, you know, in real life, you know, this is what's real. But Jesus is like, no, what, what, what you're dealing with is just natural. What you got satisfied with doesn't last, right? That's just your stomach. I'm the real bread. I'm what really sustains you. And the purpose of this bread is to make the whole world come alive. We need to think of the word eternal life, the phrase eternal life, more in those terms. Because oftentimes, at least in my mind, maybe not for you, but in my mind, I always thought of eternal life as, okay, I won't die forever. (laughs) You know, that's eternal life, you know. But it's, we're missing the life part. He's our life. His love infuses our hearts with youthful energy. We come alive, you know, in the spirit. It's like we're young again. It's like we're filled with energy. We're filled with life, filled with with joy. In verse 35, he says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. He's like, no, literally, I am a kind of bread, literally. (laughs) I am a type of bread. And this actually makes you come alive and sustains you forever. Verse 40 says, For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Now he's connecting it. He's like, this is not just me, guys. I'm actually doing this because this is how the Lord feels about you, the Father feels about you, right? He sent me. He sent this good news to you, right? And this promise is available to everyone, and all I love this because, you know, you have people who, who are like saying uh, predestination, right? You've heard that, and, and, and it's a legitimate word in Scripture, but a lot of people will say, well, we, only the people who God chose beforehand have the opportunity to believe and receive, and everybody else is kind of out of luck, and that's just the will of God, the sovereignty of God, end of story. It's kind of what some people say. But it literally says here, the will of the Father is that everyone who looks on the Son of Man and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Look and believe. Everyone who looks and believes. We can look, but then we have to believe. How do we believe? We become satisfied. We look on his goodness, and we allow it to satisfy our hearts. He really is good. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. He says it again in verse 47. Verse 51, it starts to get a little crazy. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give 
for the life of the world is my flesh. So obviously he has said like, I don't know, six times here that he's the bread of life, right? So kind of like literally here. But now he's like, my flesh is the bread. And this is where things get crazy, right? You know the story? Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood, you have no, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise him up on the last day. It's getting crazy now, right? For my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks of my blood abides in me and I in him. Does that sound familiar? John chapter 15, I am the vine and you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit for without me you can do nothing. He's taking this gruesome story to offend the crowd, right? The crowd that doesn't believe. He's speaking truth to them that, that's hard for them because they're just, they're not believing and acknowledging the truth. But he's like literally call, you know, calling out this, the same analogy John talks about in chapter 15 where it's like the vine and the branches. We literally, as the branch, draw sustenance, nourishment, moisture from the vine. Isn't that good? Like we can literally draw from him based on who he is. That's why what we think of him is so important. The minute we start to think evil of him, to think he, we might need to be afraid of him, to think he might hurt us or harm us or have poor, a bad intention towards us, right? Do you see how that contradicts and blocks and stifles and cuts us off from receiving that nourishment, that good, what makes us come alive and sustains us forever? This was life-changing for me when I started to understand this. I couldn't figure out why I was always like the unstable guy in James the book of James, you know, the unstable man. Uh, he was doubting. I, on the outside, I felt like I was, you know, but I was actually trying to hold two opposite things in mind at the same time, contradictory things. I was trying to believe at the same time about God. And it was causing instability in my life. And that's what was happening. I was cutting myself off from this nourishment, from the goodness of God. So the, everybody freaks out, right? When Jesus is teaching this stuff, they're like, cannibalism, what? <laughs> Verse 63, he explains to the disciples, part of it says, it is the spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and are life. He's saying, guys, I'm talking about the spirit, right? Everybody's freaked out because they think I'm talking about like, yeah, you need to take a chunk out of my arm. And I'm talking about the spirit. But my flesh really is food, guys, a kind of food. Well, they couldn't understand that yet, but we can understand that now, right? Isn't it amazing don't you find it amazing that the one who healed everyone who came to him, the one who restored the bodies of the lame and the lepers, chose to retain the wounds in his own body after he suffered and died and was resurrected? Why do you suppose he did that? Right, Thomas, right? Thomas did doubt it. And he, but isn't that a picture of us? Yeah. Thomas doubted, right? That's the, such a beautiful picture, isn't it? And Jesus, again, coming to our aid, taking care to make sure that we are satisfied. You see that? Comes to Thomas and is like, hey, check out my hands. Check, check out my side. And Thomas is like, I, I believe. I, I believe. And Jesus is like, hey, you believe because you saw it. Blessed are those that don't see it, that aren't here right now and believe. 
We can literally feed, draw sustenance from his flesh, his wounds. You ever hit those moments where you're not too sure or you don't feel like you're coming alive or you're doubting him or you're afraid or you feel like you're not measuring up or you feel like you've got to work harder or you're dealing with guilt or shame or any of those things we all deal with? All we have to do is remember his wounds. It's a testament to his love for us. It speaks volumes all over again to how dear we are to him, to the price, the terrible, awful price that he paid to redeem us, to be with us, to give us everything. Um, you dwell on that too long and you might find yourself feeling like, I don't know, maybe like you're reborn or something. I can't tell you how many times I've actually been explaining some of this stuff to people that I've known over the years. And I'm like, I'm, I'm telling you, I know we've gone to church together for years. I know, I know. But I feel like I've like started over again. Like it's, it's all new. Like you don't understand. It's like, it's all different now. It's like I got born again or something. Again, again. That's good. So back to Revelations chapter three. You know, he stands at the door knocking. He just wants to come in. And have a meal with us. And, and we don't need to be like Mary and Martha, you know, Mary and Martha, the story of Mary and Martha in Luke, where Jesus is teaching in this house and the two sisters, Mary and Martha. Martha's busy in the kitchen. Got to feed the Lord, got to feed the disciples, got to make a meal. There's all these people here in my house. All these guests I wasn't expecting. <laughs> and she gets mad because her sister Mary is sitting <laughs> at the feet of Jesus. And she gets frustrated. She's not working enough. Can you, Lord, can you tell her to work some more? Get her over here. Get, tell her to help me, right? And he's like, no, 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 Martha. She's found the thing that really matters. It's not going to be taken away from her. It's like he's saying to us, natural food's important. We'll get to that. By the way, I know how to multiply stuff. <laughs> Maybe you shouldn't work so hard on that. That stuff's only temporary. <laughs> what I'm here to feed you with is myself. And Mary's figured that out. And I'm not going to take that away from her. I'm not going to cut her off from that. <clears throat> what do we feel like we have to do before we let him in when he knocks on the door unexpected, like that person we weren't expecting at our front door? What do we feel like we have to clean up before we let him in? Well, just like the person that knocks at your front door at your house, hey, if they've, if they've seen your mess and you've seen theirs and you've been through tough times together, <laughs> you're letting them in, right? doesn't matter. You're still in your pajamas and haven't brushed your teeth. Well, guess what? We've already seen his mess too. He hung naked on the cross for us. He bled out for us, right? On full display in shame, right? Carrying our shame, <laughs> So of course we're going to let him in. Of course we're not going to make him wait. Of course we're going to be like, ah, you're, you're the one who I really don't need to be afraid of. You're the one who feeds my soul. You're the one who satisfies me. You're so good. Our hunger to know his love for us is satisfied through looking at Jesus. Our thirst to know his kindness towards us is quenched. Again, looking at Jesus. This soul-satisfying love is our source of life. That's why we have to resist the temptation to believe otherwise, right? 
Oh, but it's not Mr. Rogers' neighborhood in the kingdom of heaven, guys. You got, there's harshness, God's severity. You got to keep that in mind. Don't cross him. Did you repent today? All those things, right? All implying that God is standing off at a distance, waiting for you to clean up your mess before he's going to come in. No, he's knocking. He's still waiting, asking to come in. He's not saying, did you clean up your mess? He's saying, are you going to let me in so I can feed you, so we can enjoy this meal together? Nothing can separate us from his love, right? He is the, he is the, the one who loves, and we are his loved ones. Do you see how this feeds the soul? How this satisfies the soul? He's the one who's good, and we are the ones who feed on his goodness. He is the one who we don't need to be afraid of. He is the one who comforts and relieves our fears, like out on the water. It's me. By this knowledge of him, we are made alive. We are made new. And this belief is the work that we're required to do. And it will sustain us forever. So like David, who, who looked in faith to God, knowing that God was going to supply. He didn't know how. He was under the law, right? I know you're going to rescue us from this. Your, your salvation is sure. Your mercies are everlasting. Your love is steadfast. You're not going to leave us in this mess. I wonder if he actually knew it was going to be his own offspring that would die on the cross and come. And now we can say, what love, right? And have our soul satisfied and we can come alive in the knowledge of that love. What goodness is in God that strengthens our heart and sustains us? Let's pray. Dear Father, our precious Father, you are always better than we thought you were. And we're so grateful. Thank you so much for what you've done for us. You're always seeking to reveal yourself to us, how good you are. And you're always satisfied yourself when we trust in you, when we believe in you, when we rely on you, when we anchor our hearts in who you are for us. Thank you so much for giving yourself for us and making us come alive forever in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, guys. Appreciate all of you.